let's be real. Lawsuits are no fun, but with Paulson and Nace, at least they are a little easier. With two DC-born partners, Paulson and Nace will fight for you the way only a Washingtonian could. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, wrongful death, and other complex injury cases involving negligence. So if you have been hurt or lost a loved one because of someone else's mistake or negligence, call Paulson and Nace for a no-obligation consultation. Visit www.paulsonandnace.com or call 202-463-1999. Today on CityCast DC, crime is on everyone's mind, a bunch of CVSs are closing in DC, and the owner of the Washington Wizards and Cavs is defending his decision to move the teams out of DC. I'm here with CityCast's Julia Karen and Priyanka Tilvey to break down this week of intense news. Today is Tuesday, January 30th. I'm Bridget Todd, and here's what DC is talking about. Priyanka, I know this is an issue we talk about a lot on the show because it's an issue that is top of mind for many of us in DC, crime. What's crime. going on with crime right now? I've never talked about crime a day in my life. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, this week has been kind of crazy because Friday, I saw a bunch of tweets talking about how like, oh, everyone's out and about, everyone's at the restaurants. If you remember, Friday was like that wild, random 70 degree day. Oh, yeah. And then there were some sassy tweets being like, oh, but like, what about the crime? But that morning, I'd read this story about how 51 cars were broken into on 29th Street Northwest. Um, so like Woodley Park, we're talking about the two blocks between Calvert Street and Cathedral Street. So like this is like a block away from the Woodley Park Metro. This is still very much downtown D.C. 51 cars were broken into, windows smashed. Um, a bunch of them were found with the center console and glove compartments kind of all messed up. Clearly stuff was stolen. The thefts probably happened between 1 a.m. and 7 a.m. And so people woke up to go to work that morning out into the beautiful, sunny, warm weather and found their cars just decimated. People are acting as if the media is making a bigger deal of crime than is necessary. But this story makes me feel like crime definitely is something for us to be concerned about right now. Yeah. Like, like that's also a very ritzy part of town too. Mm -hmm. Like those townhouses are very expensive. And I'm sure if you're like poking around and you're like, hmm, wonder if I can get stuff like not out of the realm of possibility that like that's the place to do it. Also, like 51 cars, 51. That is a lot of cars. Like that's a, that's something that people should be concerned about. Totally. And I mean, I'd be surprised if people listening don't know someone that's been affected. I mean, Kayla, our newsletter editor, her car was broken into a few weeks ago. What the heck? Yeah, started 2024. Her car was parked on Florida Ave and 11th Street. So that's like, I don't know what, what I don't know what neighborhood we consider that like kind of near U Street Corridor, kind of Shaw, unclear. Um, but she came back to her car and her window was smashed and they'd stolen a bunch of her rock climbing gear. It's weird of all things to steal. But my point is like, this hits close to home. People yeah. we know are being affected. Is there any movement in terms of what the city or other officials are are doing about this? 
Yeah. So actually, the same day that these 51 cars were broken into, uh, the federal government announced, the Justice Department specifically announced an influx of cash and resources uh, to help D.C. deal with this crime issue. So they're going to be creating like a gun violence unit that's going to be focused on carjackings and violent crime in D.C. They're going to be using data analysis for that. They're also setting aside a bunch of federal prosecutors who will be focused on investigating local cases. Um, I mean, this is important because last year was D.C.'s deadliest year since 1997. Carjackings doubled. Um, There were 959 cases over the course of the year. So I think that's why the feds are so interested in this, especially because it's an election year and it's just not a good look for for Biden, I suppose, to have this happening in his backyard. Um, But as a local, I'm curious how you guys feel about this, because I can't decide if it's nice to be getting this support and attention from the federal government or if it's patronizing and ultimately hurts our push for home rule. I feel like it ultimately, this is just my opinion, I feel like it is a little patronizing. And it makes me wonder why this needs to be a national conversation, particularly a conversation about federal funds going to this issue. You know, there's a lot of hand-wringing made about the homelessness issue in San Francisco, for instance. I don't also hear those conversations going along with this idea that there needs to be federal initiatives, federal funding, and a federal focus. That seems unique to the conversation happening in D.C. right now. For sure. I I imagine part of that is because, right, like California is a state and San Francisco is the city in that state. And so like if California wanted to devote more resources to that, they could easily just be like, here, like, let's throw some money at the problem and let's try to figure it out. Whereas in D.C., you kind of can't do that because of, right, lack of statehood. It's this entity that is kind of pseudo governed by the feds, but also governed by uh, because of that complication. I imagine like that's a big reason why, you know. But that's what I'm saying makes it feel patronizing mm. is that this mm. the fact that we're not a state means that this is how it has to be done. And and that's what I think doesn't sit right with me. Mm-hmm. I wonder if there's an element of like, so when you look at what city officials are saying, they're saying we don't have enough police to patrol uh, ever since 2020. Like recruitment's been hard. Um, there are all these like police reforms that you guys pass that make it hard for us. I don't I'm not saying I believe these arguments, but that is what city officials and DC police, especially the police union, are saying. And meanwhile, crime is running rampant in the city. And so if Biden and the Biden administration is hearing that and saying, well, we need to tamp down on crime in this city because it's in our backyard, it's a bad look, it affects Congress people that will use this against us, maybe throwing federal funds at it is their way of being like, okay, fine, you say that you can't solve this because you don't have resources here. Take the resources and get rid of this crime because I need to win re-election in November. <laughs> it makes me sad that like, I, I completely agree with you. It makes me sad that it's never, it, it never feels genuine. It's like, because I need to win re-election. So here, take this, take these resources you're asking for, I guess. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. yeah. It's like only when it's convenient for them to do it, you know? Meanwhile, mm-hmm. like, what do we do? Just like, make sure our cars are parked, like, close enough that we can like grab our stuff out don't leave stuff in your car so it doesn't get like snatched is that like what they're gonna say you know garages I guess like I don't know it sucks it it's really terrible and then the other thing that the city government is doing is DC council is considering this like massive 90 page crime bill Mm -hmm. we did a whole episode on it so we'll link it in the show notes so you can check that out um but they're gonna be voting on it for the first time a week from today up until now it's just been debate and discussion and it's a bill that includes over a hundred provisions um, that 
are taken from a bunch of previous bills that have been proposed. And some of it's controversial. And so this week, there's this like big anti-omnibus bill week of action taking place. Um, have you guys heard about this? I know they're calling it the Crimnibus. That's yeah. about all I know. <laughs> I haven't heard of it. Yeah. So every day this week, advocates are putting together sample scripts and phone numbers of council members out there focusing on a different issue. So like yesterday was pre-trial detention. Today is the concerns over surveillance. Tomorrow is transparency and oversight over D.C. police. Thursday is new crimes and harsher sentencing. And Friday is police power to injure and kill. I've only really looked at the script for yesterday, which was pretrial detention. And what I thought was interesting was that they did in that script lay out what their concerns are with that provision. And then they also suggest an alternative. Uh, so I did appreciate that that exists there, like that they're not just poo-pooing on it without a suggestion for how to actually make the city safer. But also, I just feel like the city has been like failing and flailing also <laughs> to <laughs> to solve this problem. And I feel like we could just spend forever trying to come up with something that everyone is happy with, and it's just not going to happen. Perfect is the enemy of the good, right? Yes. Like, that's yeah. kind of what this is. And I also think it comes down to, like, this is about, I imagine, partially, council members keeping their seats, unless it's a thing where council members are, like, really in danger of losing their jobs. Like, what are you going to do? Kind of sit around and wait for stuff to happen. And I feel like this bill is like one of their efforts to be like, look, we're doing a thing. To be fair, they have been trying. Like The fact is that this is a crime bill that puts together a bunch of proposals because there have been a bunch of proposals. Sure. It's just that nothing is getting passed. And that's where we're stuck. And meanwhile, all of our crime stats are just skyrocketing. Well, I guess time will tell if this particular action really makes an impact. And we'll definitely keep folks updated when we hear more. It's time to get dressed up, DC. So Others Might Eat is having its Young Professionals Network Spring Soiree. That's to help raise funds for homelessness in DC. The gala is on the evening of May 17th at the National Museum of Women in the Arts. There will be live music from DJ Heat from the Washington Wizards, photo booths, food, and even a special appearance by a former actor from Pretty Little Liars. Wow. There will also be a canned food drive, so be sure to bring a few cans to support Sum's Food Pantry. Grab tickets before they're gone at sum.org slash spring soiree. That's S-O-M-E dot O-R-G slash spring soiree. See you there. So this story is kind of related to the conversation we were just having about crime, and that is one that's a bit close to home to me. The CVS in Columbia Heights, where I live, is closing at the end of February. No! So, I know. Oh my God. End of an era. It's been there for a really long time. So CVS did say that prescriptions would automatically be transferred to the store on Columbia Road and that patients can also fill prescriptions at other stores. So this CVS kind of became a national flashpoint with a focus on the city's crime. It was known for empty shelves thanks to like youth retail theft. And that CVS was under 24-hour police surveillance. Like when you would go into that CVS, there was like a voice that would say, this location is under 24-hour police surveillance. None of that actually... so surreal walking in there. 
Big time George Orwell 1984 vibes. Oh my God. Yeah. Apparently none of that made an impact on the retail (laughs) theft though. So I don't know. (laughs) True. So this is one of those stories that really gives me pause. You know, it's about crime, which as we were just talking about, is this very, is like rightly this very big issue in the city right now. And I guess I just want to give a blanket announcement before I go into what I want to say, which is that I think that DC is experiencing a very real issue with crime and that we should be talking about it. Like people are not soft if you're worried about crime or thinking about crime or wanting like good reporting that helps you understand crime. However, I think that we're in a little bit of a situation where because crime in DC has become this national buzzy flashpoint issue, I think some of the standards around how we frame it, how it's reported on, how we talk about it have kind of slipped in a way that is problematic for all of us because it makes us all less informed, right? When crime in DC becomes this buzzy flashpoint issue that people who don't actually care about the issue can grandstand on or they know they can get lots of engagement if they talk about it, it doesn't help anybody because it makes us all less informed about this issue that we really should be informed on because it's so important. And so I think this CVS kind of, for me, exists as a a real example of, of how that is happening in DC. Like, first of all, why are bare shelves at one specific CVS? Like, why is that a national news story? I don't hear about the goings on at any other specific retail locations across the country, why has the national media decided that this is a big issue that people in Des Moines, Iowa need to care about? That's a question that I I really have about the way this is talked about. You might think like, well, obviously the CVS in Columbia Heights is closing down because of crime. That's a reasonable assumption. However, that assumption goes counter to what CVS has actually said their reason for closing not just this DC store, but stores nationally is. So in their statement, they said, many factors are considered when deciding to close one of our stores, such as local market dynamics, population shifts, store density, and other access point to meet the community's health and wellness needs. So they're basically straight up saying like, like crime is not listed in that list of things. They're basically saying like, oh, this is like a corporate strategy realignment, whatever, whatever. Yet the assumption is it's got to be the crime, but right. that's not what they're saying. And also right? like if it was crime, that is something that's like sort of out of their control, something they've been trying to deal with. It would be such an easy scapegoat. Like if it was crime, I feel like they'd say it was crime because then they'd be like, this isn't our fault. This is your fault. Like we got to yes. go. Right. Like I know a bunch of downtown restaurants have cited crime as one of the reasons that they're closing and stuff. And like CVS didn't do that here, which I find like very fascinating, you know? Yeah, I've definitely seen restaurants and stores and stuff c- citing crime as the reason why they're making some sort of unpopular policy change or closing altogether. And again, I just think in this current media climate around DC and crime, any retail establishment can say that, have a a built-in excuse and have that excuse not really questioned. Like one of the places, I I won't name who it was, but one of the places said said that they were closing because of crime does not have a walk-in retail establishment anymore. It's like, my question would be like, in what way has crime been the cause for you to close down. If you are a reporter reporting on that story, that's got to be a question that you would ask, right? Like, I don't understand why these are not, people are not pushing back other than the fact that I think that when you're talking about crime, it's such a buzzy issue that it's just like, oh, of course, crime. It's just, it's just a given. For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so, like, basically, it would be easy for CVS to point to crime the way a lot of other establishments have, whether that's true or not, but they're actively choosing not to. So it's probably not crime. 
for the CVS. Exactly. So right after CVS made this announcement about closing that specific Columbia Heights CVS, they also announced they were closing three other D.C. locations. 1515 New York Ave is closing February 29th. 4500 Wisconsin Ave is closing on March 7th. 7828 Georgia Ave is closing on March 14th, my birthday. Um, And so, again, they pretty clearly articulated that this is part of a corporate strategy in their statement about these closures, right? And so they're also, this is not just in D.C. They are closing stores nationally along with other drug retailers. Axios has this really interesting report about how just the drug store industry has been really hit by mounting challenges from things like worker shortages. Folks might recall that pharmacists at both CVS and Walgreens staged a three-day walkout last year to protest working conditions, not to mention competition from things like mail-order pharmacies, big-box stores like Walmart, and threats from online retailers like Amazon, right? And so there are so many reasons why the landscape for brick-and-mortar pharmacies and retail stores like CVS is not super rosy right now. Yet, everybody just assumes, because because of the way that this issue has been framed and reported on, that it's got to be crime. That's the only reason why any store would ever pull out of D.C., even though that is happening nationally. Yeah, that's wild. And so, okay, with this the CVS closing in Columbia Heights, I know a huge part has been the crime, which we've been talking about. And then the other part has been people being like, no, like this is our only pharmacy. Where do we go? Where will we get prescriptions? Is that legit? Like where will people go now? Mm. Uh, This is something that has just been a bee in my bonnet since the CVS story started. So there's the brick and mortar standalone CVS on 14th and Irving, the one that is closing. Right across the street, there is a CVS inside that Target, right? So you can you can see that that Target from the CVS and vice versa, right? It's very (laughs) close. It's, It's right, it's like, catty corner across the street, right? So I will say that Target and CVS announced that they are planning on nationally closing a couple of um, CVS pharmacies inside of Target. However, it is still there. I just picked up a prescription there yesterday, so it is still there. When people report on that CVS, they will allow citizens to say, it is the only CVS in the area. It is the only place to get prescriptions in the area. And that is just not true. There's the giant two blocks away. There's the Columbia Heights Pharmacy, which is like a small independent pharmacy, maybe three blocks away. And then there's the CVS in the Target. So this NBC piece published with the headline, Columbia Heights CVS known for empty shelves to close, colon, this is the only one we have, Shopper says. That is not even close to accurate. Did they like look at Google Maps and fact check the quote and be like, actually, Yikes. I mean, it's just bad journalism. And uh, like, I, I mean, I guess, I mean, we are me- people who make media. We try very hard to not take anything that we can't have a source for, can't back up. It is infuriating to me to have that nationally be repeated that like, oh, citizens are left with no pharmacy in the area when there are so many pharmacies in the area in just in a couple of blocks radius. It makes me think that we're not being given reporting and media about this story that takes it seriously, that does it accurately, and that cares enough to get basic facts correct. And so I guess that's my my big takeaway is that it doesn't surprise me that people are assuming that, oh, this is closing because of crime, because we haven't really gotten reporting about this CVS and what's going on with it that I think is really accurate and fair. Julia, I missed this story from this weekend. What is going on with this letter that Ted Leontes published? All right. So as you all know, uh, Ted Leontes made the decision to try to move the Washington Capitals and the Washington Wizards to Potomac Yard 
after 2028 when Capital One Arena, they want to be done with it, right? So Ted got some blowback from the community. Shocking. I know, right? Uh, From DC residents, from the NIMBYs in Alexandria, joining forces together, one powerful entity. Who knew? Basically, in this letter, Ted tries to justify why he wants to move the teams to Virginia. He says he has two big goals, which is to provide a better fan experience and establish best-in-class facilities. And he also considers the DMV as a super city. So he thinks of, like, the Burbs and D.C. together as one entity, not as separate and disparate parts. He also justifies this by saying, like, between the Caps and the Wizards, 44% of the fans who attend games are from Virginia, 41% are from Maryland, and 15% are from Washington, D.C. The teams represent the DMV, and they belong to the entire DMV. This will never change. Additionally, 20% of our employees live in Washington, D.C., 42% of our employees live in Maryland, and 31% live in Virginia, with the remaining 7% distributed across other jurisdictions. So basically the point he's trying to make is like, People like to think of the Caps and Wizards as D.C. only, and therefore they're making a big ruckus, like, oh, like, you're leaving D.C., you're hurting D.C. fans, you're hurting D.C. employees. But, like, he's saying D.C. doesn't make up the majority of our, our employees or fans. They're in the DMV broadly. Correct. That's that's his big point. He then goes on to talk about how this is a big space issue for mm-hmm. him and the teams generally, like... Potomac Yard is basically, it looks like five blocks of Potomac Yard by like almost three. If you look at the picture, it might be a little bit more. But basically, Ted, if he wanted to do what he wants to do in Potomac Yard, he would have to buy a bunch of these city blocks Mm. to do what he wants to do. And he says that the extra space is where he wants to have the practice facilities and hotels and office spaces and the bigger arena. So he wants to make like his own little mini entertainment sports area in that like blockish radius. kind of deal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. This is a very controversial thing to say. And I... Controversial yet brave. Let's hear it. Yeah. I found his letter kind of convincing. Like... Priyanka. I know. I know. I I mean, anticipating the hate mail already. What what won you over? Or like, what were you... What are the points that you were like, that actually makes sense? The descriptions of what this Potomac Yard arena and retail center and just mixed use area is going to look like sounds so compelling. Like I want to go hang out there. It sounds so vibrant and dynamic. And I can see how Chinatown at some point might have been similar, but it's not anymore. To be honest, there are things to do around there. We actually got an email from someone who pointed out that in a recent episode, we talked about how that area is dead. And she was like, there's MLK Library, there's National Portrait Gallery. And those are really fair points. And those are locations that I love. But that strip right outside of Capital One Arena feels like it's not very active. It's not an area of town that I'm excited to spend time in, just like walking on the streets or spending time outside. And what they're describing as this what they're describing as their vision for Potomac Yard does sound like a space that I'm more excited to spend time in. And it is metro accessible. And if it's true that most, like 44% of the fans come from Virginia, 41 from Maryland, and only 15% from DC, then the argument that you're taking the arena away from the fans doesn't really hold water. So here's where we differ. 
If you're barely willing to cross the river for a boy, you're telling me you're going to cross the river for sports teams? No, but only 15% of the people (laughs) are in D.C. So 15% of the people might not cross the river. But then you have all of these people in Virginia who maybe didn't want to come into D.C. into the chaos for a game, and now they will. So, like, as far as Wizards and Caps, like, fan service goes, it probably is a wash. I'm so curious about this. You know, I I grew up in Richmond. I just can't see your average person who doesn't live in Northern Virginia feeling like, oh, I got to I got to drive up to Northern Virginia to go see these games. I just I don't know. I just I have a hard time feeling like the entire state would be excited for this. And this would be something that they would travel for. I think that people are more likely to go into D.C. than into Virginia, than Virginians going to Northern Virginia to go to a game. Yeah, that's true, too. I don't think people from Richmond are going to come up, but I do think. Like, I can think of people I know personally who live in, like, Arlington and Fairfax who don't come to Capital One Arena for games, but I could see them going to Alexandria. Here's what I'll say about all of this. Like, the big driver of this, and and Ted sort of nudges, just touches it a little, little tibble, is money, right? Like, that's the truth of it. Uh, he basically has said that, like, there's no new taxes that are going to be imposed on residents or businesses in Virginia, Monumental Sports and Entertainment is going to contribute over $400 million to the project. But his view, I imagine, is if this thing is going to make me a lot of money, guess what? I'm going to do it. Uh, Mm -hmm. And in D.C., if he feels like he's not going to make enough money, then he's going to move the team, whether we like it or not. I think the thing that is missing from his letter that he really should have thought to address was he makes a huge deal of how great and big this complex is going to be in Alexandria, which is enticing to me, but that's what the NIMVs in Alexandria are protesting. Right. So he probably should have addressed how he's going to make sure that their lives aren't disrupted by this. Um, and then the other thing is downtown DC is going to take a serious hit in mm-hmm. terms of just people walking around. And again, like the vibrancy is kind of already down, but it's going to be even worse once Cap One Arena is gone. Um, And that's the other thing he's getting flack for. And he spends all this time talking about the St. Elizabeth's campus, does not talk about what what this is going to do to downtown DC and and how this is going to hurt the area. Yeah, I I don't know. I, if you're going to do a mea culpa, you kind of actually have to do the like culpa part. But I don't think of it's meant culpa. to be a mea culpa. We agree. Like at all. I think it's we meant agree. to be a like get off my back. I'm making the right choice. You Here's guys why are I'm right. Here's why I'm doing it. Right. I yeah. mean, again, Virginia still has to vote on this. So we'll be keeping tabs on it, obviously. But like this issue is not going away. Vote with your money, people. That's what this is going to come down to. So. Well, Julia, Priyanka, thank you so much for helping me unpack all these stories. Yeah. And I will see you this weekend for our very first live show of 2024. Yes, so excited. Um, Yeah, check out the show notes for details. It's on Saturday, February 3rd at noon at the Square Food Hall. Um, Yeah, so excited. Free churros, free hot chocolate, clock out DC. Can't miss event. Let's go. (laughs) That's all for today here on CityCast DC. And if you enjoyed the show... Tell your friend who really has strong opinions about D.C. sports teams moving to Virginia. We'll be back tomorrow morning with even more news from around the city. Talk to you then. Gosh, let me try one more time. 
Did you take a muscle relaxer too? Just kidding. <laughs> Every, everyone took a flexor roll this morning. It's all good. We're all chill. 